This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. for Military Podcast. Uh, okay, so we're laughing here because we finally got Scott's mic uh, working, but yet I still keep butchering your name. Uh, so anyway, we're going to... Um, okay, it's Corinne. Think Corinne. Corinne. Corinne, Corinne uh, yeah. I keep it's saying right. that, but... It doesn't matter, Corinne. You can tell him all you want. He still... We did it. We we were just laughing. We did an interview before with a lady called uh, Helena Botelli. She wrote a book called The CEO Next Door. And the entire interview, (laughs) Rob was calling her Helen, Helena. That is hilarious. And she she was correcting him as well. It's it's. It's okay. You know what? My mom got my name off of a sitcom called Soap back in the 1980s. Um, when we were stationed in the Philippines, and people butcher it all the time. So they either call me corn, like corn on the cob is what they called me in, in high school and college, or they called me Devin, my last name, or Dr. D. So it's fine. I'm used to it. Hey, I like Dr. D. On the porn things. Yeah, Dr. I said, I like Dr. D. Maybe that's what I'll call you. That's fine. Whatever you prefer. <laughs> just if it's. Honestly, it's just weird because my dad was a commander in the Navy and also a dentist. So sometimes I like turn around and looking for my father if they're saying it, but (laughs) I'm totally fine. Whatever helps you out. I'm, I'm just glad to take your call. And his name is also Robert too, just so you know. Oh, Hey, see, that's good. That's a good, strong name, by the way. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) So other than Italy, you've also been stationed in the Middle East and then also Japan. So where about in Japan? I was stationed in Yokosuka. So Yokosuka is about 30 miles south of Tokyo. Um, I know that you have an army background. So we worked a lot with Camp Zama. We had a working relationship. So we saw a lot of the army patients in Yokosuka and they did the same thing for us um, because they were partnered with Itsugi. And then also in Japan, I was, I traveled um, out of Tokyo and went to Sasebo. I traveled to Nagasaki. So where we dropped the second atomic bomb back in World War II, Uh, We had a base down there. So every six weeks, six to nine weeks, I was on an airplane going back and forth between the two places. And my next set of orders has me move in August to Iwakuni, Japan. But I don't know because right now there is a no, there's complete stop moving in the DOD. You said that your father was in the Navy. So did you travel as a Navy brat along with him in different locations? Or was it by the time you were old enough, he was already out? So my father got out when I was 13 years old, but I was born in the Philippines on a naval base. And then we traveled from there to California. My brother was born, then we went to Hawaii, and then back to California, and then he got out. So just a small part of it. Where in California? 
Uh, he was stationed in San Diego. Um, my brother was born in Huntington Beach, so I believe he was at Long Beach when there was a naval base there. And then we, he finished at, in Stockton at Rough and Ready before the base closed. Yeah, you're probably wondering why I'm asking these strange questions. So if you go back in many podcasts, you'll probably hear one of the episodes or two where I talk about I'm a Navy brat. My father served 23 years in the Navy. And so I was born in Oxnard and we traveled to Yokohama and lived there for three years. Oh, and yeah, I know exactly where that is. Yeah, my sister was born in Coronado. Um, so uh, the other one was born in Kansas City because they're in Kansas and stuff. He went through some types of training. Um, and so during all the – of course, I grew up in Florida predominantly, and that's where I call home is Florida. But it's um, so interesting when you end up talking to people who have done – different travels, not just within the military themselves from PCS changes, but when you talk to them about being a brat of, you know, a military member, you know, when you're a child, you end up moving and changing suitcases and schools and everything else so often. And then when you do that yourself by going in the military, you know, you're, you're almost kind of conditioned for it. You're ready for it. You're used to it. You're used to a change yeah. about every three to five years. You know, I would love to know what three to five years is. I've moved, I'm going on my seventh move in my 13 year career this summer. So this is my yeah. first duty station for three years. That's why I don't want to leave. I love it here. Wow. <laughs> and Europe. So did you end up speaking the, the native tongue there while you were there? Or did you just learn enough to order beer and wine and uh, food? Oh, here in Sicily. So yeah. I have learned some Italian. So I could say if, if I was talking to you, I'd be like, Buonasera, come sky, mi chiami Corinne, come ti chiama. Um, so I just said, good evening. My name is Corinne. How are you? What is your name? Um, I The problem in Sicily is they speak Sicilian and there's a total of 10 different dialects in Italy. So my guard gate does not speak Italian and Italian and Sicilian is black and white. They don't understand wow. each other. So in Italy, Sicilians are more animated. Um, you go up to Venice, they speak more Venetian. Rome is very similar to Italian um, because Italy, believe it or not, is actually unified Italy is actually younger than the United States. So um, something you would learn when you come to Roma and when you come to Positano and Napoli. Um, but yeah, I love learning the language. I, I learned a little bit in Japan. I learned Skoshi, just enough Japanese. It's another way, a great way to connect people. And that's how you learn the true culture of the places through their language. Yeah. So when you decided to go in the military, I guess, you, were you in college in ROTC or something? Or was it, you know, how, how did that conversation and that whole beginning start? So I decided to join the military when I wanted to go to dental school. And I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. Dental school is incredibly expensive. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know what dental school costs in the United States. But right now, most of my classmates, well, I shouldn't say I graduated back in 2007, but now I, I know people who graduate anywhere between half a million to a million dollars of debt from dental school. Oh, my God. And, you know, and isn't correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't dentists one of the highest suicide rates as well as far as an <laughs> occupation? Maybe. <laughs> is there a relation here, you know, to the, the debt? And, I mean, that's crazy. I believe, you know, I, I don't feel that way. I love my job and I decided to even go to more schooling and become an orthodontist, which I feel like we're the uber perfectionist. But honestly, I think it's just because we, we strive so hard to have things perfect for our, our patients, for our business. And then we try to be perfect at home. 
that eventually it does take a toll on people and finding that balance is really hard. And that's what I really like in the military. Um, you know, there's always time for you to work out. There's time for you to take care of your family if you need it. Um, if you don't like where you're at, guess what? It's not forever. You're going to move. The leadership's going to change and you never know who you're going to meet. Um, someone said something to me that was really powerful and he's a chief. And I feel like I learned a lot from my chiefs is that he's like, you never know where you're going to meet your new best friend. And I just thought that was really neat because you may not be looking forward to going to some place, but then you may fall in love with it. And then you'll think, oh my gosh, why did I ever think that way? And that's how I felt coming to Sicily. I thought I was going to be surrounded by the mafia. I mean, I had Godfather written all over coming here. <laughs> and then I come here and I have people who treat me like their parents who put commander bars on me because my own family can't come out because of, you know, health reasons. I have a landlord that shares this cleaning lady with me because he wants to make sure I'm okay to help switch a light bulb. Um, even during this pandemic, I have local Italians because we had all these hardware stores. I mean, literally nothing's open except for grocery stores and hospitals. And they would come to my house and help me out. And I'm thinking just without the kindness of their heart. And so to me, I would have never had that if I never came here. And now I'm part of a people that I, I'm going to cry when I leave here. I know I'm going to cry because I don't want to leave. <laughs> you, you can't put in like for an extension or anything like that? Or is it like the military? I already you know, did. Or, oh, you did. Okay. Year. Yeah, for <laughs> okay. two years. I'm asking for another. So who knows? Maybe this pandemic will play in my favor. But, you know, in reality, at the end of the day, I'm lucky to have a job and I love what I do. So I'll, I'll make the most of it wherever I go. Is it an option to come back at a later date or? Maybe it just, it just depends. So, um, there's only 20 orthodontists in the entire Navy in the world. We're only stationed about eight different places. So it just depends on timing and what's available. And I was actually a hot fill. I was in San Diego. They cut me out a year early. I got a one month notice. I was told in mid June, leave in July and I had to figure it out and I got over here. So, yeah. yeah. Well, making all these moves, how have you learned to adapt? I mean, because I think that's one of the greatest challenges for is to one is in a foreign country to assimilate like you're talking about. You already have you've met new friends that have become more like family and everything. But um, how difficult is it for you? You believe for military service members to adapt in a new location? Well, I think it depends if you're talking about a move that's within the United States versus a move outside the U.S. So within the U.S., you don't have to worry so much of a different culture change as like everyone speaks the same language. Um, I know you may argue with me if some people say the South versus the Northeast versus the West Coast, but that same there are cultural changes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I definitely feel like in the U.S. It's, you have a little bit more control. You can drive to your next location. You know when your sure. stuff is arising. Um, when you move overseas, the things that I would tell people to be prepared for USA is awesome. I cannot stress them. I was born into USA. Use them for life. They will tell you things you never thought of and go through a checklist and give you peace of mind. Um, take inventory of what you have. So in Japan, and I know you grew up there, so you I'm not sure if you remember this as a child because as a kid, things are much different than when you drink the Kool-Aid and right. you join. Yeah. Um, me measure everything. Measure your furniture because in Japan, things are two inches smaller. So I only could find a, a, a condo that was either the bottom or the second floor to move my stuff in. Um, only pack what you what's the most important to you and don't have the military touch it. So, for example, I have a few sentimental things that are at my family's house in California, 
And what was important to me, I put in my sea bag and the rest of it, it's say la vie. You know what? If it makes it, it makes it. It doesn't, doesn't. You can't sweat the small stuff. Um, and ask a lot of questions. Think of anything and everything. A lot of it does suspend, depend on having a good sponsor. But I didn't just reach out to my sponsor. I went to Facebook groups and asked, hey, who's stationed in Sicily? Does anyone have any good friends there? And through there, I got two or three people. And everyone's going to have their own story, their own insight, their own network. And the sooner you can build that, the better your experience will be. It's good that you're proactive about it, Corinne, I guess, because a lot of people just accept, right, I'm moving on this date and I get there on that date and take over your post, your station, your role, whatever it might be. And whatever happens just happens at the back end of it. So it's, you know, to really make the most of wherever you go. And I think you've got to be proactive and, and try and find out people and try and find out who's already there and try and find out what goes on in the area and all the different things that are available to you because otherwise you'll turn up and you'll be there for six months before you even realize what's going on around you. That's so true. I, um, I, I moved here in August and the entire country of Italy shuts down in August and I couldn't house hunt. So guess what? I went on all these MWR trips and started exploring the island. And then I met my housing agent. And then I met her brother that found me this great place I lived in. And I got on Italian Craigslist, which is called Supito, and found my car. Um, so, you know, I, I've had a good experience, but I've also tell people, like, there's tips and tricks I learned along the way. Like, one big thing I would tell service members when you go overseas is do not tell a real estate your rank. Because then every place you look at is magically the price of your of your rink. They call it overseas housing allowance. So when I moved into my place, um, I told them I just help people at a hospital. When they ask me what I do, I just make people feel good. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. You know, I never thought about that. But a lot of that is public information, especially if you're going to be living near a base. You know, you're going to want to yeah. know what these people can actually afford. Because if they tell you they're only looking for X, but yet they can afford a whole lot more. Well, you know. That's good information for you and good intel. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. As a local person, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, and I tell them, negotiate this, negotiate that. So the person who was renting my place was a rank of an E5, and at the time, I was an O4. So I, I'll tell you, in Europe, one major difference than Italy is, in Italy, the customer service is just not the same. It's 180-degree opposite, and every room is fairly empty. So you have to negotiate closets and screens on windows and an automatic garage door like things you would think are automatic like I thought getting a like a touch of paint would be automatic no that would have been something I would have asked for before I signed my lease little things like that so anyone who moves over anyone in your audience who has questions I'm I'm more than happy to give my contact information because I'm you know it's a lot easier now I'm going on another overseas move to know what to expect so I'm curious, you know, back in the day when I lived in Germany, you had the choice of leave, either living in government housing or living on the economy. Did you have that same choice? I have always lived off base because I'm single. Um, if I was married, I could live on base. Um, but for me, I think it's 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 neat. When else in your life are you going to be able to experience this? And right. what a European washer is like or a dryer, yeah. Italian dryer. In your kitchen. <laughs> Probably or a bathroom, and a kitchen, which is so small. I would think the Italians would have massive kitchens, but no. For a place yeah. that loves food, it, it blows my mind away. <laughs> I thought it was funny when you were introducing us to your refrigerators. I thought that you mentioned that the big one was your wine refrigerator. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I call it my wine fridge, and then I store extra like things in the frozen section because my Italian freezer is like this big. So yeah, I was non necessities like food. Yes, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yes. 
excuse me. Oh, my gosh. So one of the things that you probably uh, were able to figure out quickly is, um, and maybe this is through your peer group, uh, as well as those just in the medical profession, is where are the best places within Europe to get stations so that, especially if you're a married couple and you're bringing over kids, you know, where can they get the proper care? I mean, orthodontist is something that in many kids nowadays, they have to yeah. have one. So if, you, if you're talking about only 20 in the Navy, well, you might not be near a location where you can actually utilize those types of facilities. You are spot on. So I, for the Navy, if your listeners are going to be stationed overseas, and this is the only place where I'm able to treat kids. Back in the States, I can only treat active duty. So here I treat both. Um, Sigonella, so Sicily, Naples, and Rota, Spain in Europe, and then overseas, and then in Asia, we are in mainland Japan and Okinawa, and that's it, like Yokosuka and Okinawa, that's, um, and Iwakuni, Iwakuni is fairly new, but that is it, that is the only places we are. Um, for the Army, the Air Force, I could send you a list, I know some of them off the top of my head, um, but you're right, we're not everywhere, and I think that's sometimes unfortunate because I've had spouses um, who've called and they, they'll, they'll call our clinic. They'll say, hey, do you do implants? Yes, we do. But maybe then ask the right question of, okay, we only do implants for active duty. If you want an implant, you have to go out town in the economy and see, you know what I mean? So sometimes people don't always ask the right question and it, it is really frustrating. And, and I get it because, you know, I, I've never been a spouse in the military, but I've been a daughter. I've been a sister. I've been on the other side where um, I've, I've watched my own mom go through those frustrations. I, I would definitely say those are the types of things to really ask and document and make sure you get it from good sources because information changes. There, it, there is a form I sign here, no joke, at my last command, I would have been fired for signing. That's how different things change for me between stateside and overseas. <laughs> it's interesting that you um, have orthodontist in the Navy, for example. So in, in I got out of the British Army in 2004, and I was never aware of any orthodontal treatment within. We had dentists for mm-hmm. kind of emergency work and, and uh, pre-deployment checkups and things uh, or any work that was required before you could go on a deployment. But there was never any kind of orthodontal treatment or proactive or cosmetic type things but it's interesting that, that you guys have, have got that and I think it's it's one of the examples of where the US military looks after its people better I guess than the the British military where it's just we'll do what's required uh, you know to keep you operational um, but where, wherever you are for example you know spouses, you, you you go into the local area and find a dentist and um as you would if you if you lived anywhere in in a regular job i guess i can mm-hmm. remember as a child and as a navy brat um seeing so many active duty personnel when i was younger on an installation and i mean um i think scott to that point we actually had so many different types of occupations that were actually within the military i mean if you wanted to be you know run a gym or something like that that was an occupation you know you wanted to you know do different things within the installation that are not um i guess what i'm saying available today um those were available at that time frame and i think even though we're smaller we've kept a lot of the the more critical or essential as we like to call it types of occupations within the military that although they may be limited but they're still they're still available 
Yeah, there's um, there's definitely some better places I tell people if they want it where to be stationed, but sometimes people have to choose, um, Scott, sometimes they have to choose what's more important, their career or their teeth. For some of my patients who have really extensive problems or things they want taken care of. And that's also a really tough call for some of my service members I take care of. Well, yeah, but do they have a choice? I mean, because can they actually put in uh, for a location? I don't know how the Navy works today, so I'm asking. They um, sometimes, let's say I have a sailor who I am treating in the middle of orthodontic treatment. I took out four mm-hmm. of his teeth. He had a lot of crowding and he's halfway through and he's supposed to be at my base for another two years and he gets selected to become an officer or he gets promoted to a chief. Now, all of a sudden, the Navy will cut his tour short and move him somewhere else. And we actually have them sign a form. And I go over with my patients because I don't think everyone reads all the forms that we have them sign that says the military does not assume any financial responsibility. So, no, they'll sometimes move him in the middle of treatment. I just work really hard with the Army and the Air Force to, to try to get them taken care of because, to me, um, I, I try to avoid that, but sometimes it's, it's out of my hands. It's above so at, my pay grade. At that point, then I'm assuming that they're going to have to go to the economy in order to finish their treatment and take that financial burden you're saying. Correct. Correct. Mm. Okay. I think there's a, there's, there's a slight difference between the UK and the US in, in terms of we've got the National Health Service. So medical treatment is free at the point of use within the UK and we don't, um, um, have insurances and a pay structure for treatment like you do in the in the US but dental treatment has kind of come off of that NHS free path in in the last probably 10 15 years so it's it's very rare now that you can get a, a NHS national health dentist so that you don't pay anything um, even as an adult you have to pay a set tariff so there's kind of three pay structures which is fairly cheap it's, it's like 17 pounds 28 pounds and 38 pounds so the maximum is you know if you was having a root canal surgery it'd be 38 pounds which is you know really cheap yeah but orthodontal treatment is has, has gone past that now and that would be a cosmetic type issue unless it was you know overcrowding or some kind of major problem that was causing uh, pain so you you'd, you'd really struggle to get that free anywhere without paying for that as an adult but where that transition has happened previously the the military didn't have to do anything because the nhs provided treatment but now you've got to pay for that the military hasn't brought that service in-house whereas you guys have done that so really we should have ported across to similar to what you guys do and because it's a paying service outside that should be a health benefit of being part of the military and that should have been brought in internal then but they, they haven't done that they they've they've probably played a, a good move then saved themselves quite a bit of money <laughs> Yes, we're not cheap. I don't add anything to readiness. In fact, I volunteer to deploy, but they always laugh at me. They're like, no, too many parents, too many people you take care of at the hospital won't let you go. And I'm like, okay, because <laughs> then no one would be here to take care of them. But yes, yeah, so it costs a lot of money for them. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a lot of differences because there was something you said earlier where uh, you said um, because you were single, you live off base but if you was married you live on base so in the uk that's generally the other way around Ah. so people live on base and the married people tend to live off base so there's there's another opposite um um, way of doing things between the uk and the u.s military interesting Mm -hmm. interesting well we have some of the british navy here because we have about 30 different countries 
you mentioned that you know you came into the military a- after school and such, but how long has it been that you've been in now total? I've been in for 13 years, so okay. I was very unconventional. I actually swore in my swimsuit leaving a pool party in Las Vegas <laughs> pool to come into t- in the military. So if your listeners see me, I think I that's where I think the Malibu Barbie and all the other unicorn and all the other nicknames they get. But I was under a great scholarship. I, I would definitely tell your listeners it is the by far the best deal out there. The Army, the Air Force, the Navy offer it. I'm not sure about the NHS. So that is something I'm not quite sure, but it's called the Health Profession Scholarship Program. And what they did is they paid for, um, at the time I had them pay for three of my four years of dental school. And I graduated with about $80,000 in debt in 2007 when I entered the military. And that was it. I paid that off in four or five years. Um, it's by far, it doesn't matter how expensive your dental school is. The military pays for it in full and in turn, you give them four years of service. So I graduated, I was at a pool party. My friends were like, Grim, we got to swear in again. So I came with the cover up. They're all on their Sunday best. And I swore my hand again, got commissioned as a Lieutenant. And then I had done, um, officer school a few months earlier. And then a month later, I'm in San Diego and I am a first year resident in the Navy. Uh, Well, that's a terrible place to have to go as well. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) For your first assignment. Oh, oh, twist my arm. Send me to San Diego. Yeah. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful uh, place. So when did the competition start coming into play? Because I think this is another side of the, your background that maybe our listeners are not familiar with. So when did the whole competition come up? Was it while you were in or you Uh, said you're in a bathing suit was, so was it before I was before, so about okay. halfway through dental school, I one of my friends has watching the Miss Nevada USA pageant, and or I'm sorry, the Miss USA pageant, and she looked at me and said, Corinne, you should do this. And before I had a chance to answer, this jerk behind me, one of my classmates was like, Corinne could never do that. And I'm like, excuse me? He's like, I dare you to do better. And I'm like, watch me. So here I am entering a world where these girls have been doing it since they're little, I'm coming in scrubs, tennis shoes, no clue what I'm doing. And I got first run up my first year. I mean, I, I marvel at the questions they'll ask like world peace where I'm like, I'm in the military. That would be an occupational benefit. My patients wouldn't deploy. I wouldn't have to worry about supplies. Like you say it like it's no big deal. But for me, it's like, this would be a game changer in right. my world. But yeah, I, I got into it as a complete dare. And I've still been doing it now for gosh, how many years later, 13 years later, and I've just met some amazing women. Yes, there is the few apples that far fall, fall very far from the tree, but I'd say that's true in every industry. But um, my first deployment to Iraq, the girls who sent me care packages and sent care packages to all my sailors were pageant girls. When I moved to Texas for residency, pageant girls opened up their homes to me, helped me find a place to live. So to find that camaraderie that we value and hold so true in the military and find that in a place where women put on ball gowns and swimsuits and answer tough questions on stage was completely unexpected, but such a blessing in disguise. So break down the stereotypes for us because, you know, people are going to be listening to this and they're going to go, oh, okay, Dr. D, she's, you know, in, into that whole beauty pageant. So help us break that whole thing down because uh, you were mentioning it. You kind of hit the highlights of that. That's why I asked because some people are going to be listening to this and, and they carry some of the same, um, you know, their, their mindset is, 
okay, they don't get really asked tough questions when they do. The answers are kind of, you know, so help us help us understand this whole world. I love the whole camaraderie p- aspect of it that you're talking oh, about. Oh, absolutely. So um, one common misconception about pageant girls is, is they don't have to work very hard. Um, they just put on a pretty swimsuit and they walk on stage. I'm going to tell you, I'm in better shape for that swimsuit than any physical readiness test the military has ever challenged me to. Because let's be honest, we don't show our abs when we're doing our push-ups or when we're running our two miles or three miles. But you're on a stage with lights that are blinding you with very slippery shoes where you could slip and eat it at any moment. So that is definitely misconception, number one. Um, Number two, they ask you easy questions. Because I'm in the military, I've been asked probably some of the most politically charged questions um, where you almost have to be Switzerland. I I remember I just got back from deployment. One of my friends convinced me to do a pageant in Texas, and I got asked why President Obama decided to send 70,000 troops to Afghanistan. This was in 2009. And by the way, you're on national TV, and you have a microphone, and you have millions of people watching you, and it's probably going to be on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other misconception that I tell people is that they are, that they don't know how to handle themselves under pressure. I have to walk into a room where I meet three to five people who don't know me except what's on a piece of piece of paper, which they may not have time to read. And I have to make sure that they remember me. They feel like they related to me. And that when I leave the room, all they're thinking about is me and not the 50 other girls that are walking in. You tell me what board, what meeting, what person you meet that is a pivotal, engaging, thoughtful, provoking leader in our military that you do not want to have that skill with. I'll tell you this. I, for my patients, I always tell them my rank is for two things, to take care of them and, their, and to take care of my people. To me, people first, always, every day. That is what I will live and die by. I remember this one time I had a Navy SEAL. He really wanted to get braces and he was at a training command. And these guys are operational. They're saving the world. They're catching my bullets all the time. Working on the abs, hair gel. Yeah. Yeah. So I remembered (laughs) I I needed to, I needed to convince his commanding officer to sign up to get permission to do braces because not everyone can get it. You actually have to get permission from your commanding officer. So I walk in. And his CEO just looks me up and down and is like, all right, doc, you've got 10 minutes. And I looked at him. I said, I only need one. <laughs> and it was perfect. I mean, within that, we, I was there for about 30 minutes. The guy's like, whatever you need, take care of my guys. You get me. You're going to take care of them. And that's to me, like, that's a skill that I learned in pageantry. I mean, there's some other fun things I've learned on you know, how to look pretty in a gown or how to do makeup that I now do for my friends in the military whenever they need it. But to have those skills, you have those for life. And to me, I don't care what rank you are or which branch of service, that's going to be a priceless entity that you can use for the rest of your life, no matter whatever job you're in. would have written a book that described how to put yourself in difficult situations so that you can, you know, again, brief the board of directors, brief an executive leadership team on new ideas or, you know, look at marketing and promotional opportunities that, you know, would relate to the people, be a a personable, you know, a person or individual, when you walk into a room, relate with the crowd, you know, how to connect. And you would have wrote a book about all these things, And then, you know, and maybe in the back of the book, it would have said that a lot of what you've learned is because of, I think people would be shocked because what you just described are skill sets to your point that 
most people don't even think that these individuals are going through or have. They just don't see that. What they see is instead, you know, the image on the TV, you know, what mm -hmm. the person says and those types of things. And I think you bring a very valuable point there um, as to what you guys go through and what you can bring yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's my why. It's why I can continue doing it. And um, the most recent pageant that I won um, one of the great things about it is I actually have become an ambassador here in Italy. So I go out and speak at local Italian schools, which helps me brush up on my Italian or the kids correct me, which is very humbling. But I would never have had that door open for me if I, if I didn't, you know, show them something. And I think that's what's interesting is, you know, the military is viewed very differently in different parts of the world. Pageantry is viewed very differently in different parts of the world. But when you have a bridge or a way to connect with someone, it's such a great foundation and gives you stamina to grow and build something off of. And that's what pageantry has done with me and the yeah. military, even though they are two very different worlds. Yeah, they are very different. So I wasn't aware that you were still doing that all the way up to this day. Um, I saw some of the images and stuff that you had, but I didn't realize that there was a you know, a competition that continues on all the way to this point. So that's, that's really interesting. Now, is this something that you can continue doing throughout your whole lifetime? Oh, or absolutely. Oh, really? I wanted, there's, um, so one day when I get married, you know, to have a lucky guy that I, I meet, I could do Mrs. America. I could do Mrs. World. Um, there's even a Mrs. Senior Citizen America. There's, there's actually a Miss Veteran America competition for the military. Um, only military females can do that. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities. The thing that I would tell anyone who does it is find your why. What is your purpose? You know, for some of my friends who've done it, it was because they wanted something to push them. They wanted to be a better version of themselves, whether it was physically, mentally. Um, for me, it was drive. It started with someone telling me I couldn't do something. And I was like, that was all I needed to hear to say, okay, watch out. <laughs> so, Yeah. yeah. Aren't those the same reasons, uh, what you just described again, of why people end up going into specific career fields or within the soft community or whatever is because they, um, you know, they want to challenge themselves. They want to do something better. And the same thing applies when it comes to the outside and making the transition is understand what your purpose and your passion is. So again, all of this is all relevant across uh, the board. Scott, you were Googling, uh, Dr. D's name and everything. I, <laughs> Oh, we were talking about you. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know you uh, did um, beauty pageants, and it, it's not really a big thing in in the UK. Um, so we kind of see it on TV over in the US. So when Robert said that, I, I was googling <laughs> to, to see. But <clears throat> yeah, but I I think it's interesting, you know, and it's it's very much, I guess, one of those stereotypical things. But if you're competing at anything at a high level the amount of effort you have to put in to be at that higher level you know anybody can do anything at a mediocre level can't they whether it be football rugby tennis beauty pageants anybody can just say you know what i'm gonna have a go at it and and have a bit of fun with it and do it at joe average level and, and that's fine if people want to do that but if you want to progress in anything you know whether it be business uh, the military you know and go on to a, a soft unit whether it's beauty pageants whether it's tennis to go up in any kind of levels competitively it takes a lot of bloody hard work to do that and just keep pushing and working harder and harder than the people you're competing against and that's how you succeed at doing anything if you really want to succeed at something you've got to put the effort in it doesn't come for free you, you can't just 
be good at or very rarely are people just good at something and even if they are naturally gifted at something you'll lose that edge over time because somebody will outwork you and work will out uh, work will outperform gift every single day of the week yeah I, I i see it all the time and you are spot on it's it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of effort. I, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning to work out, and that is my why. Because it's like, all right, I've got a stage where I'm competing against women who are much taller than me, and so I'm only five foot three. I'm sorry, I don't know the meter measurements off the top of my head to convert it for you. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. You have to think, okay, what can I bring? It's not really a competition. Pageants is not always a competition against the other girl, but it's more of a competition with myself. And just like in the military, people are always thinking, hey, what am I doing to be that next pay grade? Am I am I embodying that? If I'm not, what are the areas I need to work on? And that's what I like about pageants. It's about setting goals, achieving those goals, and then thinking, all right, what's next? What's next can I do? Um, so that's where I think that that in the military have a lot of um, crossover besides the service and tradition and camaraderie that I mentioned. How is it? How has it affected or has it? Um, your military career, especially if somebody finds out that you're in the pageant world, you know, is that one of those things just ends up being maybe again, the stereotypes come in or is it like, Oh, okay. Um, I'm just curious. I would say I've had some leadership who's been super supportive of it. I I remember when I was on an air force base um, with the army, um, that's where I did my residency program. So as a Lieutenant, they called me captain, which was amazing. And they published an article in the paper all of my mentors, my professors, my attendees thought it was amazing. They're like, how did you win Miss Texas? And you're in residency. Like, where did you find the time? And it was great. And then I've had other bases um, where they just haven't been really been. They've been very cautious. And something I've learned to do is that when you put yourself in the spotlight, and I would tell this for any of your listeners as they move up in rank, as they move up in responsibility, you know, us as leaders, we have to give away all the credit, but we have to take all the responsibility. And what that means is that you have to know the rules. You have to know what the protocol is. And I learned to make friends with three people every base I go to. The JAGs, which are our lawyers, <laughs> public affairs, and my computer IT nerds. Why? Because all three of those people can make my world amazing or make it fall apart very quickly. That's but- so funny. I used to do <laughs> I used to do cooks so I can get eat. You know, yes. IT, IT, so yeah, my systems could work, and finance or HR, so that I make sure I got okay. paid on time and my paperwork is correct. So it's it's interesting how our our uh, three people are very different here. You know. Yeah. So that's that's really what's helped me out because you're right. The higher you move up in the food chain, the more you have the spotlight on you, the more you're you're going to get the good with the bad. But I think as military, that's good for us. We need to know who we are, where we stand, our values. And, and knowing our, you know, our instruction and our code, because those ethics are what we fall back on. And again, that's that's what I've always done with pageantry when there's always been a question or a concern. What kind of advice would you end up giving just women who are either already in the service and it may be a very different response? So I'm going to set it up both ways or for individuals, women who are looking to come in the military. What kind of advice would you give both or maybe um, each differently? So for women in the service, I would, you know, ask yourself, are you happy with where you're at in your field? Are you at that career that you want to be at? And if you're not, what's stopping you from going to that next level? And for some people, maybe they, they were turned down. Maybe they had a superior who said, nope, you can't go into that. 
but you know, find celebration in your failures because you know, when I fall down and learn how to pick myself back up, that's when I really learn how to be successful. I, I wanted to be a pediatric dentist in the military and I had a captain, a Navy 06 who said no. And look, I became an orthodontist. I never had braces and I became an orthodontist in the military. So I always tell people that's that's one thing is find some of your passion up because when you are blood, sweat, tears, invested in that, you are going to be doing that, you know, you're going to be burning the midnight oil. So Ash, that's one advice I have for women in the military because the military will use you, but you should use the military to what you want and what your goals are. For women who want to enter the military, military, what is what is it you want to do? Do you want to be part of something bigger than yourself? Like be specific. And as much as sometimes people maybe write down goals and be specific, I'm also a big proponent of a vision board. And I made this before I came here. And ironically, there is a picture of, of Sicily, the ocean here on my board. There is a picture of me going to France on this board. This was made years before I came here. So there's something about your subconscious of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish that can really help you find your stage and also find a way for you maybe to hold on something that you're fearful or anxious of. And so that would be some of my advice. And without further ado, I'll turn it around so you guys can see one of my vision boards. One of my friends suggested doing it and I didn't realize how impactful it was until I was like, oh my gosh, that's the INC. Oh my gosh, that's like the volcano outside my window here. It's, 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 it's amazing how I guess the universe or God or whoever you believe in, I believe in, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, um, how they can kind of all fall into your, fall into your life. So now, especially with you, the military, do you take stuff off and add it, uh, new stuff on, or are you constantly changing or is it something you just build upon? I build upon. So I have this board and I have another one. So I suspect, um, that I'll probably make a new one here. Um, soon since I've already exhausted all the pictures um, subconsciously on both these boards. That's a very cool thing for anybody. I mean, I, I typically, I'm an individual that loves to have a whiteboard within my office when, you know, I'm at an office setting because I just, I have a thought and I'll just take it off and go off on the board. And in some cases it is a vision or something that I see within the future uh, strategically that I want to do, uh, I want to accomplish or what I see, um, you know, within the business that I want the organization to move towards. Um, and you've done that within your personal life as well as your career and combined the two and created these types of boards. Very, very fascinating. It's Thank visual you. goal setting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Essentially, it really is. we vision boards a visual goal setting so instead of writing down a list of things you want to achieve things you want to do places you want to go you're doing that through imagery yeah, instead imagery, yeah. so you know it and and that resonates a lot better for a lot of people you know i i'm a visual learner and i take things in a lot easier graphically than if you give me a book to read you know okay. uh, i find it difficult i i listen to books, audiobooks, as opposed to uh, reading them, because my brain just switches off when I start reading, and I'm normally asleep within about two pages. But you know, I, I can I can listen to them visually as well. I take in things a lot better. So if if people really struggle with goal setting, you know, vision boards and and visual goal setting is a really good way to to try something different and. 
um, just give it a go and just put it up and you see it daily and then it just it's that constant prompt right I, I, I want to go there I've, I've, this is what I need to save to be able to achieve that and then out of that goal you set your plan step one step two step three whatever it may be first I got to achieve this then I can do that then I can do that and that gets me to my goal so it, it's a great way of doing things Scott, oh, I don't, thank you I don't know if you noticed, Scott, in the bottom right-hand corner was the Mentors for Military logo. So she's now accomplished that. That was one of the things within, <laughs> within her vision. So <laughs> uh, I think it's great advice. And, again, everything that we've been talking about here for probably the last 20 minutes or so, not including the, the first part of it that was more about just adjusting and culture and changes and adaptability. But, you know, what we're talking about here, once again, applies to anybody and everybody, regardless of whether you're still in service, you're out of service and you're within um, the private sector and you're looking at wanting to make advancements, wanting to build upon your career. And the, the advice that you gave for women specifically within the military, once again, also is very applicable to women who are trying to struggle within the corporate setting. Uh, a lot of the things, and this is something I talked with Patty about here recently, is that a, a lot of the challenges I think that um, especially women face are not just specific to the military. The mindset is still the same within the private sector. Those people that I, I didn't like to work for within the military, well, I found them with a different face and a different name in the private sector. <laughs> You know, the problems are going to be there, right? So if we think we're leaving the military to run away from it, we're going to find it again. So it, it's really fascinating that you're giving advice that really helps them transition through some of those things and kind of learn to overcome that because that's what's more important. Yes, and, and one more thing that I'll add on top of that is something that I've learned, especially with this tour because I'm a department head and I've been an acting director, um, which is kind of, I guess, like third or fourth from the top of the food chain is that you, I've had to learn how to change the way I communicate and I can expect others to do that. So maybe for me to get heard or to get the mission done means that I have to change my style or the way I do things with different people. Like for example, some of my fellow doctors I work with, you know, they are in a different generation than I am. They joined the military different than I did versus someone who's my assistant or some of my senior enlisted, how I talk to them is different. And people always ask, well, why can't you expect this or that? I said, because I know if I do it this way, they'll get the job done. And at the end of the day, what matters is to me is not only did they hear me, but they understood it and they're able to execute it. And that is something that I would definitely challenge your audience to learn how to do. It's tough. Mm -hmm. I agree. I want everyone to mold my way, but my way is not the only way and my way not be the right way. And it's so great when you can be humble and be like, you know what? I screwed up. I dropped the ball, but you know what? I want to fix it. Can you help me fix it? Like, you know, that to me, I think that says a lot as, as leaders when we can do that, no matter the environment we do it in. Your so. point is valid. I think there are classes on um, leadership, that especially more of the old school leadership that's not used to understanding how people think generationally. They just are used to the way that they were brought up. And so there are classes out there of how to understand how, you know, Generation X thinks from millennials, from, you know, Generation Y to, and, and so that's kind of what you're talking about, especially if you grew up within a certain generation is more fresh now, like people who have served since the beginning of the GWAP period, they, they're going to have, you know, be a lot younger. They're going to be probably within the same generation, whereas people that are of a different generation, um, you're going to have to learn how those people think in order to get them to take some kind of action. And if you use the wrong type of message or communication, you may not get the same results. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's another cool thing I've learned. Pageantry, military. So just another plug for your audience. (laughs) (laughs) To go to join a pageant. Yep. See, Scott, I'll be looking for you to start Googling (laughs) the next male pageant. I want to see your universe. Oh, there you go. (laughs) On it. Uh, Dr. D, it was great having you on. People are going to be listening to this, and they're going to want to know a little bit more about how they can maybe find you, and there may be even individuals that want to seek your advice. So what are some of the ways in which they can do that? Absolutely. I would be delighted to help out your audience. So they can um, find me on at Instagram at Dr. Corinne Devin, and that's D-R-C-O-R-I-N-N-E-D-E-V-I-N. Also, if you go to Facebook and you type in Dr. Corinne Devin, you'll find me there and also YouTube, Dr. Corinne Devin. And please send your questions, message me. I'm more than happy to help you out. Um, I was born and raised in the military. You know, this is not a message from the Navy. It's just all my views, but I, I love it. I've had a great time and I'm more than happy to help out anyone and everyone that has questions on um, what to do and how to find that next step.